the Lord has been good to me. Man, oh man, oh man. I don't deserve any of this. I can't believe this. Not only do I have, you know, forgiveness full and free, but he gave me blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Welcome to the Bud Zone Podcast. I'm Bud, your host. The Bud Zone Podcast is for, from, and by saints, our buds in the faith. To edify one another in the faith and to encourage one another to love and good works. We discuss the world, we discuss the church, we discuss the faith, we discuss truth, and we do it with the mind of Christ. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to this very special episode of the Bud Zone podcast. Today, folks, you folks that are listening, you are going to be blessed because we are entering excellence in evangelical broadcasting territory. We are joined today by a man who is known as the Tuesday guy, Steve Cooley from No Compromise Radio, uh, pastor elder at Bethlehem Bible Church and massachusetts we've got excellence in evangelical broadcasting right now so steve brother thank you for joining me say hello well thanks bud i i feel like i should insert a needle into my head to reduce my psi i mean i just <laughs> i just had my my head expanded here no 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 you know i i enjoy the uh the little intro that you guys have on No Compromise Radio, which you do with Mike Avendroth, um, yes. it says you're never afraid to be controversial. And I normally find that when I listen to be on those Tuesdays when you do show up on it, that's when I think the controversy might erupt. And I happen to know that you tend to block people on Facebook. So thank you for the grace of not having blocked me. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I try not to, but eventually, you know, I do. It so. happens. Yeah, it does. So, and just one other little remark, and then I'll ask you to kind of introduce yourself. Okay. Um, you're known as the Tuesday guy because yes. you show up on Tuesdays usually Tuesdays. on on yeah. uh, your on no compromise your, radio. Yep, right. Um, well, my broadcast, my podcast drops on Thursdays, so you may just be able to add another day <laughs> as a <laughs> moniker for your for your excellence in evangelical broadcasting. Tuesdays and Thursday, Tuesday and Thursday guy. I need a new, uh, yeah, new account on Twitter. And yeah, all kinds of things. We'll just see. I mean, I normally get about twelve or fifteen listeners, so I don't know that it's going to take off. But you know, it's always fresh hope. I I'm pretty sure that this episode will hit eighteen. Well, I <laughs> on the weight of your name alone in the yes. <laughs> well, tell us about you. Well. Um, <laughs> that, that's kind of broad. Let's see. I assume you want to talk about, uh, well, how do you salvation? introduce yourself to people in elevators in Boston? In Boston. Well, um, you know, I, I just basically tell them I'm a Bible teaching pastor. And I mean, I'm, I, I think, you know, the greatest title I have is probably Christian husband and then grandfather. So we have seven grandkids, you know, once the kids are out of the house, 
um, you basically, I, I, I don't know, it feels like you stop being a dad, except for when you get those calls, hey, dad, I need some advice, or hey, dad, you know, I need this, so, um, but the kids are married, and out of the house, and now we have seven grandchildren, so. Wow, um, nice. Yeah, which is, yeah, it's very special, they're, uh, they're over, you know, generally speaking, Thursdays, and we see them other times. So. Well, I was going to say, are they all local to you, or are, are they close yes. by? Yeah, they're all within a couple of miles, so we like that a lot. We're, we're you know, major league in favor of that. Are they in your church? So you somewhat? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying Four to pry. Them. I just wonder: is it a Sunday reunion every uh, every Four Lord's of them Day? Are and and three of them are not. Three of them are in, are in another church. So, but we see them a lot. Good. And you are pastor along with Mike at Bethlehem Bible Church. Yes. How long have you been there? I have been there 17 years. 17 years. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I have ways to go because my goal is to be at Bethlehem Bible Church as long as Bill Shannon has been at Grace Community Church as an associate pastor 40 years. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't really know if I'm going to, I mean, Bill Shannon is like, humanly speaking, he's my idol because I'm like, how can you do that for 40 years, you know, and how do you do it in a number of ways? But anyway, uh, that's me in a nutshell. I was a deputy sheriff for Los Angeles County for 21 years. Um, and then we came out here in 2004, been here ever since. Originally from California? California. Yes. Okay. Grew up in a suburb of Los Angeles, California, West Covina, graduated from Covina high school, went to the United States army, got out of the army, joined the sheriff's department, uh, went to seminary towards the end of my sheriff's uh, career. And then we, uh, we came out here to Massachusetts. Okay. Well then let me back up in the chronology a little bit and ask, why are you a Christian? Why am I a Christian? Uh, well, I, I grew up in the Mormon church. I was baptized at age eight, you know, became an elder uh, at 21, but I, I was a, you know, as a deacon, a teacher, a priest, I did all the Mormon stuff. I was even baptized in the, in the temple for the dead. I had that opportunity when I was uh, 12 or 13, which was a little bit unique. Why am I Christian? Well, you know, basically, because the one thing that I found lacking, I mean, there are a lot of issues with the Mormon church, but one thing I found lacking was a, a solution for my sin. I remember sitting with one of my friends on my car when I was a teenager, and I said to him, I said, Mark, there's this one problem here, you know, with this whole godhood thing. I can't seem to stop sinning. You know, how am I going to become God, a God, go to the celestial kingdom and have my own worlds and all these, you know, spiritual children, everything else when I can't seem to stop sinning? And he just kind of chuckled a little bit. He goes, oh, don't worry about it. You'll get there. You know, like you, eventually you'll perfect yourself. And uh, that's that's the Mormon answer is you just keep repenting, keep growing, and eventually you'll become perfect. And I, I didn't really get that. It didn't really happen. I didn't become perfect. And uh, later on in life, I was, uh, I'd been involved in some th- things on the sheriff's department, had some difficulty in my personal life with my wife and wound up at the direction of a department psychologist going to a 12-step meeting. And this is a, kind of a long version of it. But I, I went to this 12-step meeting and people are talking about turning their life over to their higher power. Mm. And, and one person said their higher power was God. I said, okay. One person said, I mean, mentally said, okay, you're not allowed to make any kind of comments during a 12-step meeting. 
um, but you're also not allowed to laugh. So when per one person says, my higher power is this group, I wanted to say, if you looked around the room, you know, this is, this is not that great. And I just left that night thinking, okay, I know there's a God. I know it's not the God of Mormonism, and I had a lot of reasons for that. Um, but there had to be a God because there had to be somebody to punish all the bad people that I ran into during the course of my career. Yeah. You know, the, the people who abused kids, who, you know, did all these awful things. And so I, I went to work and I, and I thought, well, I know somebody who says he's a Christian. And I've always treated with complete disrespect and derided everything he said and always took the opposite side of everything he said. But I also knew that they had a Bible study. And I thought, well, I'll just ask him if I can go and, you know, kind of figure out who this God is. And so I said, can I, can I go to this Bible study? And he looks at me and he just goes, you're joking, right? Like you, you can't possibly want to go to because you had mocked him so much is that yes yeah yes okay and so i said so i just relayed what had gone on in this post meeting and i said i just know that there's a god that i don't know who he is and i'd like to find out so he's like oh yeah 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 you can come and it was an awful bible study i mean it, it was a pooling of ignorance you know i mean there were there was a calvinist there there were broad evangelicals there there were charismatics there there was just everything and it was more like what this verse means to me. And every once in a while, the Calvinist would say something like, shouldn't we just kind of try to figure out what it means to God, you know, or something like that. Yeah. You know? But what happened was I started reading the Bible for myself. I started interacting with some of the, the chaplains who would come into the jails where I was then working. And, you know, God saved me as I was reading. I really think it was when I was reading Isaiah. And, you know, I came to the Christmas verse, Isaiah 9, 6, and you know, a child should be given to us and all these things. And I, and I just remember thinking that his name should be called wonderful counselor. And I, I just was comparing him to my shrink and just thinking, okay, my shrink doesn't know that much about me. And he keeps giving me this advice and everything like that. I said, Jesus knows everything about me. And in spite of that, he died for me. Mm -hmm. And I say in spite of that, because I thought I know a lot about me. I don't even like me. Right. Yeah. And Jesus loved me and gave himself up for me. And that was just, it was amazing. I mean, I just became transfixed by this. And I started going to uh, different churches. My, my schedule, when this came about, my schedule was such that I had 16 hour shifts on Sundays. So I could not go to church. So I started, I, I went to a couple Saturday night churches, uh, which were fairly miserable experiences. Uh, for me, I, I mean, I, I think probably most churches, with no offense intended, most churches that they have services on Saturday evening, it's usually because they don't really, they don't really get it, I might say, right? Yeah. So I went to Grace Community Church on Sunday a few times, and I thought, I, I like this. It, it felt like a, a church to me. I mean, keep in mind, I was just completely new to this whole <laughs> That this whole Christian thing, the only church I'd really ever known was the LDS church, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so I, I was looking for something that felt not too challenging in terms of the environment. I didn't want to see people flopping around on floors or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I also knew I also knew that I needed I needed to learn. And, you know, Grace Community Church is just an awesome place to learn. Uh, I started 
going to a fundamentals of the faith class and just got involved right away and uh, just started growing in, in that respect. And so, uh, you know, that that's my long answer to how did you become a Christian? It didn't have to do with me in particular as much as uh, just being, just finding myself thinking there has to be something else, right? And then reading in the word and then hearing the word and just becoming convicted, not just of my sinfulness, but of the fact that uh, Jesus Christ was the only answer for the ultimate problem, which always gnawed at me, which was sin. Well, I think that's something I didn't know. And I don't want to go too deep into the LDS doctrine, but they they do teach uh, sinless perfectionism, I guess, that would be achieved in, in this life. Is that correct? It's, it, it's really kind of the goal. I don't know that they would say it exactly like that because they would say that they talk about eternal progression. So, you know, I mean, it's kind of, there's a lot of do, do, do in it. You know, you have to get married in the temple. You have to do all these things, uh, pay tithing. Uh, I, I, Mike recently sent me, this was, this is funny. I should dig it up and send it to you. There was a, uh, the Mormon church twice a year has a general conference where they just, the, the so-called apostles, general authorities and whatnot, give different talks on different subjects. Well, one of the one of the talks at this particular conference was by a, a woman in the Relief Society. And I think basically, generally, the women only teach women, but it, it was available on the internet. And she was in, in a very sober voice, a very sorrowful voice, relaying how this woman that she knew who'd been a faithful uh, Mormon in every sense of the you know word faithful, uh, full tithe payer, all these other things, but she had one big flaw. She drank coffee, and that was going to keep her out of the out of the celestial kingdom. And I mean, she was just like almost in tears talking about you know. And, I, and I'm going, wow, you know, it's not what goes into a person that yeah. defiles them, but what comes. But you know, for the Mormons, because they have something called the Word of Wisdom, and you know that means no coffee, no smoking, no drinking alcohol. These things will keep you out of the highest degree of glory. Um, so it's a very peculiar works oriented system, but yeah, they, they essentially teach that even if you don't reach sinful or sinless perfection in this life, that you'll get close enough that eventually you can kind of work your way into the highest degree of glory. So, but you were not able to see any kind of progress at all. And in, in, that's what you said, you know, you're still right. sinning. I, well, I mean, there were times where I felt like I was doing better than others, but the overall sense of guilt really never kind of left me you know i just there were times where i just sort of shrugged and thought you know kind of i i I guess you could say agnosticism you know god will sort it out and i'm better than most or at least i'm not like these other people you know i mean uh sounded like the pharisee to the publican you know yeah Uh, unlike these other people i don't beat my wife or i don't do this and i don't do that and you know and that's if you talk to most cops, they think that they're essentially going to heaven because they know really bad people and they're not really bad. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I never thought well, I mean, about that. Yeah, that's that, true. That's just, that's just kind of how we, that's how we survive in that, uh, you know, in that life. So, so to deal with sin in the Mormon environment, essentially it's let go, let God and don't drink coffee. That, <laughs> well, that's a, <laughs> there's I mean, more they, to it. They, they, yeah, they, they will. I mean, they, they would say that they believe that, Jesus died for their sins, 
but it's kind of it's kind of like a Roman. It's almost like a Roman Catholic system, you know, where you have to be in constant uh, repentance and constant remorse for your sins, and you know, you really should be be beating yourself down more. It's not Jesus died for your sins, yes, but you still need to die for your sins too. You know, I mean, yeah. there, there's a there's just a real sense in which you you need to pay the price for your sins as well. So, um, wow, okay. But yeah. then you you so you started at Grace as just attending. Yeah. And yeah. and over okay. what kind of time did it take for you to think I'm born again now? Yeah, it really wasn't that long. I I think it was probably, you know, I I mean it was just a few months and then one of the chaplains at the jail actually baptized me. I think that was in 93 uh because there there was the big uh Northridge earthquake. I mean, I got I got baptized went to sleep and that night was the Northridge earthquake and I got like thrown up in the air, you know, and oh, wow. I remember, you, you know, how do you know that you're saved? Well, I, I don't know, you know, how, you know, exactly. But I remember being thrown up in the air out of, out of a dead sleep. And while I was in the air, my thought was just like, not panic what's going on. But it was like, if this is how my life is going to end, Lord, make it painless. You know, that <laughs> that's all, that's all I thought, yeah. you know, and I, and, and it was comforting to me just in the sense that, you know, there was some destruction and things going on and uh, there was an explosion some some ways away, uh, uh, like maybe half a mile from my where I was living. There was a, a gas station that blew up, mm. you know, which made quite a noise. But but in all that, I just thought I am, you know, more confident than ever that I belong to Christ because I have no fear of death. You know, yeah. I have no fear of of facing God, not because of me, but because of Christ. So. Well, I think that's amazing um, and, and really illustrative of what so many people in the church don't actually think about right now, because there is still this large presence in evangelicalism of this negation of teaching and doctrine. We don't really need that. So they don't see the thesis and antithesis really of there's there's objective faith and there's also subjective faith. There, there's like both sides and right. and you can lean too far you know the pendulum can swing too far one way or the other uh, but it is hard to explain you know when did you become a christian because that is a subjective thing but it's built on objective truth yeah, it's based on doctrine but i but i i do say all the time that there's a subjective element of christianity you know how, christianity how do you know that you belong i just know you know, I, I mean, and it's not built on my performance. I would say it's the spirit testifying to my spirit that I belong to him, you yeah. know, and how do, how do I quantify that? I don't, and I don't try to. Well, um, you just said you got tossed out of bed in, a, in, a, in an earthquake, but you sort of had this peace that you couldn't really explain, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I could not. So, yeah, I agree. Now, your call to the ministry. When did this happen? Well, that well, that was kind of funny. Let me let me back up just a little bit because Janet and I, I mean, we went through. Let's just say, for the sake of radio, that we we went through a, a, some difficulty, you know, while I was going through my own personal demons there, and you know, seeing the shrink and all this other stuff. So I come out of it the other side, and by that time, we both stopped going to the Mormon church. She was going to a Pentecostal church, and I was going to Grace Community Church. And uh, when we decided to start going to church together, I had I had been 
when I started going to Grace Community Church, I'd been in a in a uh, Bible study taught by my fundamentals of faith teacher, and he was very uh, focused on eschatology. I mean, to the you know almost ridiculous kind of caricature of dispensationalism, where he would go from Daniel to Revelation to the Los Angeles Times, back to Daniel to Revelation to the Los Angeles Times. And I mean, it was like, you know, trying to figure out where we were on the timeline and all this kind of really foolishness. So, uh, so wait, it was Fundamentals of the Faith from MacArthur, and he brought in like Larkin, Larkin's what, charts what, and stuff, right? Well, okay. I, I was done with Fundamentals of the Faith, but he taught a, a Bible study. And so I was going to that um, because, you know, I just thought, here's somebody I know and, yeah. you know, I like and I can listen to. And, you know, I, I mean, I could I could go on about that Bible study because there were other aspects of it that were not very edifying. But suffice it to say that I just kind of felt like I was not growing. And so I'd started to be discipled by somebody that I'd met in the jail. Now, that sounds funny. Uh, but he was he was he was a chaplain who was coming in to teach inmates. And one night we had a lockdown, there was a disturbance in the jail and uh, he couldn't talk to anybody. So he and I wound up talking and uh, he started talking to me about the doctors of grace and, you know, what he said, I couldn't really dispute, even though I didn't really understand and didn't necessarily agree with it, but we decided to start getting together and it was the beginning of our discipling relationship. And so, and th- there is a point to all this. Uh, so one night he calls me up and he says, Steve can't get together tonight. Sorry. And I said, oh, what are you doing? And he said, uh, well, I've got to do some, I'm, I'm going to be babysitting. And I said, well, I'll go with you. I'm not afraid of kids because I had three of my own. Um, so I go over there and we're babysitting Mike's daughter, his oldest daughter, uh, Haley. And I think she was like two and a half or something like that. My friend and I, we, we walk into Mike's house and Mike and Kim are going out and he hands me, he just says, hi, how are you? Hands me sinners in the hands of an angry God and they're out for the evening, right? I mean, literally, that's what happened. <laughs> wow. He had a little tract, you know, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And he was gone. Well, we started, Janet and I started going to his Bible study uh, that summer, the summer of 1995. I mean, it was funny because I didn't, I didn't start teaching or doing anything right away and because I was afraid of public speaking. It might sound funny to people who who know me now because they say, well, how could you have been afraid of public? I was terrified. I didn't want to do that. And if you would have told me I'd be doing this, I would have called you a liar. But what happened was, you know, God works providentially in ways that we often do not expect. Um, I'm a bit, I know this will shock you, bud, but I'm a bit of a practical joker. No. Yes. And so I, I... played a little practical joke at work and it went great got big laughs the problem was it also wound me up in the captain's office and he decided basically because he was not a very honest person to demote me i'm making a long story short to demote me and it was wrong and eventually it got reversed it took like a year and a half two years to to reverse but in the meantime we got a new caesar uh, excuse me a new captain (laughs) and uh that's another topic. I, Maybe we'll get there. I don't know. Yeah, and and I and I wound up I wound up uh, finagling this job where my job every day was to try to help inmates get out of jail on house arrest. And to do that, and there and you might say, well, why did you want that job? I wanted that job because it was set your own schedule, so I could work throughout the week instead of having to work weekends. Which you know, when you're a cop, weekends off is like 
you know, once every five, six months, you get weekends off, you uh-huh. know, because you rotate, rotate yeah. through. So the idea of having permanent weekends off, I was like, yes, sign me up for that. I'll do that. Um, so my job then for a, about a year and a half, two years was to stand up in front of big groups of inmates and convince them to trust me and to go out on this program. And so just through repetition and other things and being in front of them and knowing that they were initially hostile to me. I mean, that sounds funny because I was trying to help them, but inmates have this thing where they don't really trust police officers. No. <laughs> um, so, but where, where I figured out that I could actually do this was, you know, I'm speaking to them and I would like make a joke and they're laughing and I'm going, these guys don't even like me and they're laughing at my jokes, you know? And I thought this is going pretty well, you know? And wh- if you actually know what you're talking about, then public speaking isn't so terrifying, mm-hmm. right? So with that as kind of a preface, then we move into 95 and, you know, Mike is teaching and we're learning and growing and we're having fun. And, you know, then Mike has the temerity to uh, leave, uh, to come out here to Massachusetts and take a, a church, you know, to be the pastor. And I started teaching just fundamentals of the faith and uh, things like that. But I, it was sometime after that where I just, I, I said to Janet one day, I go, you know, I think I want to go to seminary. I, I think I want to, I want to do this. And she said, uh, okay, how are we going to pay for that? And I'd already figured out the overtime, you know, that I was going to be working to, to pay for that. And uh, that's what we did. It was, uh, I went to, I, I got my, my stripes back. I, I went to graveyard shift and uh, got them to freeze me on Wednesdays and Thursdays off. So it made it easier for me to go to seminary because classes were primarily on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So having Wednesdays and Thursdays off was a, a big advantage. And so that's what I did. That does answer my question. How did you meet Mike? Because you babysat yep. for him. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, and you know, I knew, I, I mean, I didn't know that night, but as we started going to the to his Bible study, I could just tell that he and I could be friends, you know, that we, we, we had enough in common to where, we, you know, not just, I mean, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say not just that we have Christ in common, that we're brothers in Christ. Um, but, but we had other common interests, things that we liked, you know, that we could just knock around about, um, you know, basketball and other things. And then, you know, Mike's horrible musical tastes, we, you know, we could we could at least discuss that because most most people wouldn't even know the bands that you liked. At least I, you know, read about them in ungodly magazines like Rolling Stone and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I was going to say, sometimes I hear <laughs> y'all's episodes and there'll be some, I'm like, I've never heard of that. I, I have no, this is like another realm. I don't know where you guys are coming from, but it's got to be like SoCal kind of thing or something. Yeah. Or just, you know, yeah. Um, so it, I mean, he and I just kind of hit it off and I, and I, I knew that we would. And, um, but when I went to seminary, you know, there was really no, I, it wasn't like I knew that I was going to have a spot out here. In fact, they had, uh, an associate pastor at the time and I'm just like, but there were enough people encouraging me to go to seminary, including my, my pastor, Bill Shannon, uh, Grace Community Church that, you know, I wanted to go and I, I really liked teaching. i I'd done a little bit of it. I mean, here, let me just, this is kind of a funny story. I got asked to do a Valentine's uh, message at homeless shelter in Los Angeles. And this was like, it's a big homeless shelter. I mean, like the ladies, there were two back-to-back 
meetings because they would eat and then you would preach to them. So I think it was like the ladies first and then the guys. So it was like 70, 75 women and then about 225, 250 men. Mm. Okay. So the women first and it just went so well. I mean, I was just, I, I couldn't have been happier with the way it went. And then the guys. And so, you know, I was told because I have a friend who's still my friend. He, he was a, a, a trustee for me back then in, in the jail, did 18 years in prison. He's been out for several years now, just a great guy and uh, who goes to grace now. And he and I are, are good friends. I just talked to him not too long ago. And he said, Steve, when you go there, you got to tell these guys that you're a senior deputy, you know, in, in the jail. And, you know, they'll just appreciate so much the fact that you're, you know, you're taking this time out of your life when you could be taking your wife out on Valentine's Day and everything else, but you're going to, you know, you're going to preach the gospel. So I say that, and there's some murmuring in the room. And some of the guys in the back are like, let's get him. <laughs> and they, they start moving towards the front of the stage. And I thought, I'm a dead man, you know. You're on the opposite like, end of a practical joke that you didn't even know about. <laughs> it, it's the Valentine's Day massacre, you know. I mean, it, this, it, this is it. And the 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 chaplain who was there, I don't remember the guy's name, but I'll never forget him. He just he just said he he has raised his voice a little bit. And he said, "Hold on, hold on here, brothers. Let's just see what this brother has to say here, you know. And let's uh, let's give him an opportunity. And you know, he just got like come and they go okay. And they they like took a breath." And let me continue. And then everything was fine. And everybody was, you know, it was all good after that. But there was a moment where, you know, my life flashed before my eyes. And I thought, this is it, man. I'm going to die in a homeless shelter. Well, well okay. That's great. Uh, I, I don't think that's what my wife had in mind when I said, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna go preach at this homeless shelter. I'll see you in a few hours. Yeah. 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 Oh, goodness. Uh, so you, you, uh, <laughs> So you're a cop going to masters and how long did, how long did seminary take? It was four years, four years. I mean, okay. It's a, it's a, it's a three year program. You know, I squeeze it into four. Um, well, you're gifted, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, but I you're, was, you're kind of working and studying. Yeah. I was so. working, you know, usually like 48 to 56 hours a week because, you know, paying for, seminary or, or whatever and trying to squeeze in overtime whenever I could, you know, to, to make the extras so that we could do that and, uh, you know, kind of pay cash as we went through seminary. So, so that was the, that was the deal there. And also, you know, teaching fundamentals of the faith. I love to teach that class. I would teach that, you know, every time I got the chance. In fact, here's a, here's a funny story. When I, I was graduating, I was actually out here in Massachusetts and I was out there for, I think I was out there for Shepherd's Conference. And so we were there on a Sunday and the guy, the elder over the fundamentals of the faith sees me and he says, Hey, Steve, I got a class. I need you to take a, you know, teach a class of fundamentals of the faith. And I go, I'd love to, but I'm in Massachusetts now. <laughs> oh, know, <no>. so <laughs> I can't do that one for you. But uh, yeah, I mean, that it's really a terrific class. Now, uh, but when you, of, oh yeah, no, that is, um, but so when you leave, when you finish seminary, you graduate seminary, was it direct to? No, no, I had, I had two more years, uh, before I left and, you know, uh, with the sheriff's department, we, you had two more years. Yeah. 
I actually, when I graduated, I think I, well, I had 19 years on when I graduated. The trick there though, was we had our youngest daughter had two more years left in high school. Okay. And, uh, you know, the council was, I mean, there, there are two things going on. First of all, when I hit 20, I would get, you know, a, a retirement, but here, here's, here's the other side of the story. When about halfway through seminary, so like year 2000, somewhere in there. Well, I know it was before 2000 because we went on a Israel trip in 2000 and I was having just a really hard time walking. My knees were sore all the time. My shoulders were sore fairly frequently. I had trouble like sleeping. They were so sore. And the issues were, which I later found out because eventually I had to stop going to work. One knee hurt so bad that I couldn't walk without a limp. And I, I, I went to a doctor and I never went back to work. Uh, they, they wrote me off. Uh, I injured on duty and it took three doctors, but eventually somebody told me that, you know, what was wrong with my knees. The County doctors gave me a, a thorough examination physically. And they said, uh, you know, normally you have to, you have to get a lawyer. I did get a lawyer. You have to file for a, you know, a, a retirement and you have to sue the County and you have to go through all this and they fight you hammer and tong. And for me, the doctors just, when they got done, they said he's 71% disabled. He cannot go back to work. There was hmm. no lawsuit. There was no nothing. It was just like, he's done. He can no longer work as a deputy sheriff in Los Angeles County. You know, I wind up getting a retirement from the sheriff's department. That's not only a retirement, but it's also tax free and they pay, you know, a, a good portion of my medical insurance. Oh, wow. So, so you could kind of look at that up, as, I don't know, what's the word Providence? Yeah. But I mean, would I, you know, would you choose that if you could avoid it? And trust me, every day the answer is no. Yeah. Because, you know, I've got, I've got, I have to take care of a lot of physical therapy on my knees. I have to do a, a lot of different odds and ends to, to keep, uh, you know, this whole uh, body moving. But, you know, on the other end, it's made life a lot easier for us. And in some ways for the church too, because like, you know, some of my medical insurance is picked up and, you know, so it's, it's, it's been a, a blessing all the way around. So I think uh, it was close to the time that I graduated, the guy who was the associate pastor here left and they basically functioned without an associate pastor till we got out here in 2004. Well, let, let me switch gears and ask you, you know, kind of your observations with what's going on in the church right now. I mean, there's a lot of, if you back up and look at the culture, the Lord is judging our culture. America is under God's judgment. I don't know how many Christians in typical evangelical pews recognize that. And I also don't know that they recognize the connection between what the pulpits have kind of forsaken doing over decades now. I don't think they're able to connect the pulpit to the judgment that's in the culture but when you look at the church at large right now what what is it that most concerns you and and what is it that most encourages you i think what most concerns me is what i i guess maybe you know that's an interesting question because i don't really that's not typically my fork my focus but i would say it's the kind of the corporatization of the church i'm not a fan of multi-campus churches where you have a pastor that you only see on the TV screen, but yet you come to this building and you gather to worship 
the Lord, presumably, and you do so on a big screen because he's such a dynamic personality, even though he lives up here, this would not be abnormal. He lives in a different state. He preaches in a different state and you're going to, you know, worship the triune God with him, even though you don't ever meet this guy. And to me, that's just bizarre. You know, I mean, why would you do that? You want somebody who actually uh, preaches and also can shepherd you, not somebody that you never even get to see in the flesh. Yeah. Yeah. I've run into that uh, here. Uh, and I, you know, here you have to get down to defining what is a church and who actually is a pastor. But I, I've got a friend that lives about an hour away and he goes to a, um, an offsite or a multi-site location for Andy Stanley. Now I'm in Florida. Stanley's in Atlanta and it's broadcast to, I don't know where this meeting occurs and he's just hepped up on it. I'm like, this is not a church. That is not a guy to follow. You know, you there's, we need to back up and start somewhere else before you go there. Um, is that prevalent in your area? Because I, I kind of see, I mean, you're west of Baston, right? You're in West yeah. Boylston, which I guess is west of East Boylston. But, like, you guys don't have a multi-site campus where you're projected over to your East Boylston campus. But No, but we're working on it. No. Oh, uh, good for you. No, no. no. But is, no. what's the evangelical no. culture like there? You know, given what we do, you know, which is preach the Bible verse by verse, uh, we're, we're gigantic, right? I mean, we're huge. I mean, we're 300 people, you know, <laughs> I mean, well, and, uh, and, but also you're reformed, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Are you That's unique so I, because of that? Yeah. I mean, there are a few, uh, churches around us that are reformed, but you know, if you slap the, I mean, it's interesting if that's the first thing people associate with you, you know, it basically cuts down the number of people who are, are even interested in showing up. Right. Yeah. If you, if you, you know, if you say, well, we're first of all reformed because people don't even know what that means. All they think it means is, you know, like uh, we had a reformed Baptist show up at our church one time. We wanted us to kick people out of the church for being overweight. Um, you, you know, so Reformed Baptists have a reputation for being judgy, you know, or Reformed, if you're a Presbyterian, you have a re uh, reputation for being stodgy. You know, I mean, it, it's yeah. just like, you know, very formal and very, you know, we we just focus on the biblical part. I mean, we we don't shy away from it. I mean, I taught through the 1689, uh, I think it was about a, a year plus, you know, in Sunday school, just kind of going through it and uh, supplementing it in places where I thought it, uh, I mean, I, I used RC's commentary basically on the, uh, Westminster. I used a lot of that cause I found it very interesting and, um, and helpful and using the Westminster where I thought the Westminster was maybe stronger or whatever, you know, kind of flesh things out a little bit better. But, uh, usually I like the London, if I could be honest, uh, prefer the, well, London you can balance. be honest, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, the, the overall culture around us is it's just dead. I mean, we're, we're mostly Catholic and mostly unbelieving Catholic. I mean, you know, people are not, they don't take Catholicism seriously. Yeah. It's something you do, you know, for your kids, you uh, make sure they get baptized and maybe you make sure that they catechism or whatever, but then you're just done. You don't really care about it. I mean, I've been to sadly a few Catholic funerals 
where I'm like, I'm listening and I'm going, the priest doesn't even believe this stuff. He doesn't even, you know, you, yeah. you can, you can tell when the person you're listening to doesn't care. It, it bleeds through and what they say and how they act and everything. And I'm just like, this guy doesn't, he's just going through the motions. He's saying stuff he doesn't even believe. And, but that's, that's the overall word of very atheistic. They're not even agnostic. They're just very atheistic. The, the folks up here in New England. Yeah. How sad. I mean, the birthplace of America, the colonies, all of that, uh, the, the religious motivations to, to come to the new world you had Calvinism. You had a you had a variety of different expressions of a Protestant faith in country originally, and that's where it was all centered. And now it's yep. like a wasteland, largely. Yep. I mean, congregationalism. You can't be a town in uh, Massachusetts without having a congregational church. That's literally that's a requirement. So you know, in every town in Massachusetts, there's a congregational church. And do they all and, have rainbow banners on the front? Uh, well, them. a lot of them, a lot of them do. I mean, there are some congregational churches, you know, where you or I could go and, and, you know, but it's all dependent upon the pastor and what's gone on, okay. you know, over the years, you know, but uh, most of them are, are absolutely useless. And, you know, if you call uh, some lady will answer and you'll say, can I talk to the pastor? You are talking to the pastor. You know, I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I didn't mean the pastorina or the pastorettes. What about the, you know, but that's because women are in, are in, uh, you know, the pastor positions in many of these so-called churches. Yeah. I mean, what, what's amazing, you know, just talking about the encouraging things going on up here is to see how the Lord has worked through this pandemic. I think before the pandemic, you know, we would have, we would have baptisms, but sometimes we would have our, quarterly baptism coming up and maybe not have anybody, you know, and so that's okay. We'll do it again in three months. Well, now it's like, we always have people, sometimes a, a lot of people, you know, I, I, I think one night I had like seven baptisms, which again, for our, our size of church is a lot of people wanting to get baptized. We've had a lot of people come um, out of the Boston church of Christ at cult, you know, which teaches baptismal regeneration, other people come out of charismatic churches because a bunch of churches shut down when the governor said shut down. And then, which we did too, initially, because nobody knew what was going on. Right. We did what the governor, we did what the governor said and, you know, gradually booted back up. But a lot of the churches did not start again. They stayed shut down. So people start looking for a church to go to and they find out, you know, we're meeting. And so we've had people come from a lot of different places and just like, we didn't we didn't know a place could exist where we could hear the bible taught you know week in and week out yeah. and it's been really encouraging it's been pretty awesome to watch the lord build his church i think if if somebody declared you know this whole pandemic thing over tomorrow we'd probably wind up having to go to two services every sunday because we've seen i think substantial growth and and some of the people who are not coming each and every week it's because they they're elderly They've got, you know, various uh, illnesses where, you know, just the idea of getting COVID would be deadly, essentially. And so yeah, they, right. I, we think wisely, you know, stay home. That's interesting. Um, and certainly, I think that was a response most churches had. Let's be prudent. We don't know what we're dealing with. Didn't take long for those with discernment, not merely about what's coming at them from the pulpit, but also what's going on in the world. Didn't take very long to say, uh 
it's not what they're telling us it is but the pastors that i've talked to over the last year or so kind of echo what you're saying that the lord has really been at work he has been moving people from some of those kinds of arenas those churches and maybe legitimately arenas but yet they're genuine believers they can't go to their own place which would be their knee-jerk reaction they're going to go there but they can't because it's shut down and they find a place where it's different and they're faithful and they're preaching thus saith the lord and so you're discovering you know new members that way they're they're coming in the lord's kind of shaking things up and he's moving his faithful because of this i think that's a wonderful effect it's been great i mean you know i would i want to go through this again absolutely not i mean what we did you know just we for as long as I, we we did what we needed to do to stay within the governor's parameters. We went to two services for a while um, so that we could do the spacing. We did all that stuff. You know, I, I, I got a little upset with some of my friends because they were like, you know, how dare you require, you know, masking and whatnot and all these other things. And I'm like, well, you know what? We can do it without placing an undue burden on anybody and, you know, do I think these masks help? No, but you're kind of missing the point. And we were kind of, I, I think I would put it this way. We were coming from a place where, you know, maybe maybe if I were to say it this way, that we couldn't walk at all and we were wheelchair bound. And then gradually we sort of build ourselves back up, you know, to use an analogy. And if that was the case, because I think we went from only 10 people being allowed in the very beginning to, you know, then it was 25, then they did the whole spacing thing. And so we did that and we were inviting people back in and we had people sign up so that we could balance the two services. We did all, went through all that stuff. You know, eventually we got to the point where, okay, no more masks, no more, you know, spacing, no more anything. And then they tried to put some of those restrictions back on us. And we just said, you know what, we're not going back there. Yeah. But, you know, for for people to, I, I just would say to any elder pastor out there, be patient with other elders and pastors. I, I think we should be past the point, everybody should be past the point where anybody would be so afraid of holding services where they won't do it, you know, or where they, where they listen to a, a governor saying nobody can have services weekend because Omicron is coming or whatever. Uh, okay. Omicron or Epsilon or whatever, you know, whatever variant you want to throw at me, I don't really care, right? We understand the the various risks and we're grown-ups and furthermore, the Church of Christ needs to gather. So we're Amen. gonna do that. Amen. Right. Well, let me ask you about the the issue of being reformed. When you when you came out of um, Masters, that is not a a confessional teaching seminary, so to speak. You're exposed correct. to it. But right. you didn't come out London Baptist or Westminster no. or anything else. No. You're you're familiar no. with them. Right. Was the church when you got to the church with Mike there? Was it already confessional? Did no. You, you know, I think, and and I I'm sure this is right because I'll tell you why in a second. But we had basically like a what we believe sort of thing when I first came out, and one of the first things I think Mike gave me to do was to. Now you're going to cringe when I say this was to go through the 1689 and edit it, removing a lot of the law stuff and a lot of the Sabbath Sabbath stuff to make it less law-oriented than it appears to be. 
And I think the reason is because, you know, Mike's take on it was, was just very legalistic. And, and, you know, again, our impression or our stereotype, I think it would be fair to say, of Reformed Baptists, which I think it's fair to say we probably, I mean, I'd say we're Baptists who are Reformed or are we Reformed Baptists? I don't know. I don't, I don't want to emphasize one over the, over the other. We're Reformed and we're Baptists. But we, you know, our stereotype was that Reformed Baptists were just kind of judgmental and legalistic. So the end result was we wanted to de-emphasize those things. And I think it was probably when we had Carl Truman out for a conference and Carl Truman said, well, what kind of statement of faith do you guys have to Mike? And Mike said, well, we have a, uh, an edited version of the 1689. And I think Carl Truman said something like, oh, so you guys are like a cult or something. You know, I mean, he was, <laughs> he, he was, he was joking, but I think, you know, it just got Mike and I thinking that maybe we should, you know, review our thinking on the 1689 because, you know, let, let's just be honest when you're in full-time ministry, it's like right now, I have so many needs within the church, so many things to, to work on. And, you know, Mike's just coming back from COVID. I mean, he would, uh, for those who don't know, uh, our senior pastor, Mike Abendroth, nearly died. Yeah. I mean, he was sending me notes from his hospital bed, basically telling me, Steve, I'm going to die. And when I do, make sure these things happen. So, you know, for quite a while, I was doing the the preaching I, I was still doing my Saturday morning thing and a Friday night study and and doing whatever counseling and other things need to be done. And I'm like, I don't have time to kind of look at our statement of faith and adjust it and all this other stuff. But anyway, Carl Truman comes out and says that. And so we're, you know, at the time we started thinking, well, why is it that we, you know, have this edited version and should we not have? And I think Don Green came out and said that they had a statement, kind of an introduction at their church where they said, I, what's it called? Truth Bible church or something yeah, like that. Truth community church, I think. Yes. And, and so, you know, it was like, uh, you know, their preface was we are largely in agreement with the 1689 and then just unedited, you know, boom, there it is. And I go, you know what? That's fine with me, you know? And so then I taught through it to figure out, exactly where I thought maybe the the difficulties for uh, me and for us as a church might be. And I still, I still think, you know, it's probably a little, uh, it leans a little more Sabbatarian than I do. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I think, you know, I, I rather like it. And mostly what I like is I, I like what it says about the Trinity. I, you know, it just teaches so many truths that we otherwise don't typically see or read or think about. So I like all that. Yeah. So somebody reading it can come and ask you, hey, why does it say God's simple? And they would have never probably been exposed to that if you just had a sort of generic, here's what we're going to teach kind of statement of faith. Yes. So yes. It, it's it's provocative with regards to not only theology proper, but all, all kinds of areas of doctrine. So that's very important but what would you say because coming from the master's environment there are a lot of pastors out there who've graduated from masters thank god for them but there are a lot of them that the sort of hold uh confessions and creeds in a sort of what i might consider a classic sbc sort of mode uh no creed but the bible they kind of push yeah. against creeds and confessions and and they don't they don't employ them certainly in their churches but what do you say to them well, they stiff arm them. And, you know, I, I think it's, I, I mean, it's been interesting to me, you know, to read Barrett and to read about 
you know, Aquinas and Anselm and all these guys, because we were, and the same with the confessions, we kind of give them the stiff arm, right? We don't even pay lip service to them. They're in many ways, the antithesis of what we want to be, right? It, that's what we're learning in the master's seminary, right? But it's not I, overtly I mean, like, biblicist, would you say, right? Or would you maybe, I, it leans I, a little I more think, that way? You know, here's, here's the dichotomy, you know, without getting too much into the detail or talking about too many things that I, I've dealt with behind the scenes, there, there is a, there's a dichotomy between John MacArthur and the faculty, a, a, a split in theology. And, you know, I, I recognize that even as a student, even as a non-confessional, you know, student, because I used to, even as a student, I would say, man, I wish they would like have the systematic theology that eventually did come out, yeah. come out because I'd like all the professors to have to say, I agree with that and I'll teach that. Yeah. Right. Because it didn't make any sense to me that we had professors who disagree with John MacArthur and it was on, not just on confessional stuff, but on, you know, basic principles like the extent of the atonement. I'm like if John MacArthur is a five point Calvinist, why do I have theology professors who say they're 4.25, you yeah. know, point Calvinists in the pike position with three and a half twists and <laughs> two somersaults. I, I don't, I don't understand it. I want to say, I love the master seminary. Okay. I, I love it. But the emphasis was on eschatology and not on soteriology. Okay. In fact, one leader of the school, not John MacArthur would say on occasion, Man, if you want, if you have any uh, millennial leanings, we'd like to invite you down the freeway to get a fuller education. He was talking about Fuller Seminary. Fuller, you know, that was yeah. A little, it was a little pun. But, um, bum, you know, there should have been a rim shot. <laughs> I don't have sound that. effects, but I get it. Yeah. So, you know, be, because that was the sine qua non, that was, that was the dividing line, that was everything. You know, you had to be pre-mill you had to sign off on the rapture you had to you know just be willing to take a bullet for the rapture otherwise you didn't belong at the master seminary and that was reflected in the faculty because they all held to that and they were all you know thoroughgoing dispensationalists and there was no there was no uh no debate about any of that yeah um and it was unfortunate i mean it, it just struck me later on thinking about it wait a minute I mean, I know now that they'll have like, say, Sinclair Ferguson to uh, to do the D-men or whatever. But at that time, I mean, just think about it. I don't want to hear Sinclair Ferguson teach a class on soteriology. Why? Because he's not dispensational. There's mm. something wrong yeah. with that. Yeah. Right. And and I think it was this whole kind of biblicist mentality. And and to my brothers, you know, out there from the master seminary world, I just look at it and, you know, now this is not any kind of liberalism or anything else speaking, but I think there's something wrong with the idea that every generation has to reinvent the wheel, you know, and that somehow we're disconnected from all the brothers, you know, Ephesians four says that Jesus gave all these brothers to the church, you know, to be pastors and to be teachers and did, you know, I, I would add theologians and, you know, systematic, theologians and whatnot over the years and we're to ignore everything that they did and relearn all this stuff you know for ourselves and that's that's wrong amen that's a that's a slap in the face of god and and i think that is exactly the starting proof text 
to go to? Because I think if you look at it broadly, and, and you're the pastor theologian on the Bud Zone right now, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, we understand that Scripture is a progressive revelation. I, I don't yes. think anybody's going to dispute that. Right. And, and we also agree that now that canon of inscripturated truth, that revelation is closed. So we have everything Peter says we need for life and godliness. Okay, so we've got this corpus, the scripture, but the Holy Spirit is still at work. The effects of that revelation, they also are progressive, and they are progressing now. I don't mean progressive like in a liberal sense, like you're talking about, but the the efficacy of that final revelation is still progressing. And if you forsake the Holy Spirit using a John Calvin or a Martin Luther or I mean, Augustine, or, I mean, name them. If you're going to forsake the Holy Spirit leading them, not inspired in anything they wrote, it's not infallible scripture, but it is content based on infallible scripture. You're forsaking part of your job as a shepherd because he's progressively been teaching the church. I mean, is that a wrong way to look at it? No, it's not. And, you know, I I mean, I sometimes will say, I like the idea of being the pastor of a church and thinking, you know, understanding I, I do not believe in necromancy. I'm not trying to raise the dead. No. But if Charles Spurgeon was to walk into our church or John Calvin were to walk into our church or Augustine were to walk into our church and listen to what we were teaching, they'd go, they might not say, I, you know, subscribe heartily to everything those men say, but they would say, you know what? They have the gospel right, and most of what the rest of what they say is right. Yeah. Right. And they um, just quoted they're hand, me. They're, what's that? I said, and they just quoted me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm quite flattered they did that, you know. Um, and this is this is what we should want. We should want to be, as you know, Lawson kind of paraphrased, in a long line of faithful men, right? Yeah. We're we're baton carriers. We're not, you know or we're, we could say we're torch bearers. We're not the guys who light the torch, right? We're, we're not to be the initiators of anything. We're just to be faithful to what God has given us. Yeah, We're, we're inheritors, not inventors, I guess we could say. I li- rather like that. I should, I should write that down. Inheritors, not inventors. Well, it's recorded, so I'll send you the clip later, and <laughs> okay. you can play it in Sunday school or something. But your view would really be this, that the stiff-arming that a lot of evangelical faithful, I mean, this is not questioning their salvation. These are godly men. Right. They're faithful. Yes. But they're stiff-arming of confessions and the teachings that the Lord has blessed his church with through these teachers through two millennia. The stiff-arming is really because of an eschatological perspective and not necessarily one that is sort of a protestant reaction to the elevation of tradition like you'd see in rome i think there's i think there's both but i think i think a lot of it is eschatology and you know and some of it maybe infant baptism or you know i mean it's really interesting to me let's just kind of pick out a quote from calvin and whatnot you know but everything that came after them you know, I mean, specifically the confessions, you know, that somehow these are not good. We don't, I, I don't understand actually, you know, sitting on this side of the confession, you, you know, I feel like it's uh, almost like a post-conversion experience, a post-conversion conversion. So sitting on this side of it, looking back at it, I don't understand the reluctance to say, yes, I, 
I believe, because as you read these confessions, what do you disagree with? You know, and maybe, like I said, maybe it's the Sabbatarianism. Okay. You know, I mean, I, I, we're Lord's Day guys. That's what we are. That's yeah. what we believe, sure. you know, and, but I mean, is that enough of a reason to throw out? And, you know, I think if you, if you throw enough kind of explanation into it, I think the can, the confession could be made to kind of understand it in a less Sabbatarian way. But I mean, think of all the errors that are avoided by holding to the confession. People say, well, you're elevating uh, the confession. I mean, this is the most common thing, right? You're elevating the confession above scripture. No, you're not. You know, if you, if you understand it rightly, we're just saying that the confession is an explanation of scriptural truth. And by the way, if you think the Bible disagrees with the confession, then obviously the Bible takes precedence. Right. Right. Um, and we would certainly say that. But I think for the most, you know, 99.9% of the time, we're not going to say that because the confession is just telling us what the Bible teaches. Yeah. I mean, the, all, all the references are right there. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not difficult to, to wrap your head around. Well, so, that's very interesting. Uh, and I appreciate that observation. Because the history of classic orthodoxy between Protestant and Roman Catholic, you know, the reaction was always against the elevation of, of tradition alongside Scripture. Right. And if you look at confessions, well, that's drawn out of history. So that's, there's some traditional value yeah. to those. Is that why we're rebuffing those things when they're effectively nothing but guardrails to say, here's, here's what we believe Scripture teaches and... We're going to try and stay within these lanes, uh, but we're not. We're going to hold them loosely, and where we think there may be error. Uh, so I wouldn't cringe because Mike handed you LB, you know, London Baptist, and said, "Here, edit this." Now, if he'd have handed you Romans and said, "All right, cut the law stuff out of this. We can't deal with that," <laughs> that would be well, different. It, but you know, it's it, it it's interesting. If I can just for a second, the 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 whole comparison between Roman Catholicism with its tradition and magisterium and, you know, these things. And because here's what happens, and this is true of every, and I'm going to use the word cult. They have these other sources of information, which they say inform scripture. Okay. But they ultimately take precedence over scripture yeah. because here's the difference when Roman Catholic in Roman Catholicism, when their tradition or their magisterium, their church teaching conflicts with scripture, scripture loses every, every time. single time. Yep. And with us, if you say, well, this conflicts, and by the way, nobody's come up to me in any of the years that we've had the 1689 and say, you know what, I think the Bible conflicts with the 1689. Because if, if it does, we're going to say, well, then obviously that needs to be stricken from the confession because it is not consistent with scripture. Yeah. We don't want anything. We, we don't want anything to be above scripture. What the 1689 does, as you were saying, it just explains what is in the scripture. It doesn't trump it. It doesn't, it doesn't stand above it. It doesn't even stand beside it. It stands firmly below the scripture. And it is just a means of understanding what the scripture says about specific areas. It's not comprehensive but it does speak especially well uh with regard to the trinity which is a difficult concept to understand mm -hmm. it speak you know it explains soteriology very well you know i think it's it doesn't dig into the weeds in eschatology you know there are several areas where there there are some if i could use the term fungibility you know some yeah. 
<laughs> you know, but but it's very it's very helpful, not just in terms of guardrails, but although it, it does function that way, but to just help us understand some things that are not so easy to grasp, right? Uh, like the Trinity. I mean, if that were easy to grasp, then there would never be any conflict over it. There would never yeah. be any discussion over it because everybody go, oh, I, I freely understand the Trinity. Cool. What else would you like to say? Um, well, just that it's really great to have friends like you, bud. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right, I can edit that out. Everybody should listen to the Bud Zone. How about that? Oh, yeah, <laughs> wait. Say it again real loud and... No. Everybody should listen um, to the Bud Zone. What else what else should they be doing? I mean, come on. They can listen to other shows, no, but why? There's no compromise they, radio. Forget that. They should listen <laughs> to the Bud Zone. Man, the the Lord has been good to me. Man, oh man, oh man. I don't deserve any of this. I can't believe this. Not only do I have, you know, forgiveness full and free, but he gave me blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Yeah. And uh, how, how can I not then, in some small measure, try, try to be, you know, obedient to what he's called me to so that, you know, others can experience the grace that I have. Yep. So, Good deal. God bless you. Thank you, brother. Thanks, bud. Always. Have a great day, bro. And that concludes this episode of The Bud Zone. The Bud Zone podcast is a member of the Christian podcast community where you can find scores of biblically sound podcasts for your edification and encouragement. Go to christianpodcastcommunity.org to discover more. You are now leaving the Bud Zone. Thank you for listening. God bless you. And just a reminder, no doctrines have been harmed during the recording of this show.